This is Latour Live with Dave Latour on News Radio WHP 580. Hey, gang, welcome back to another exciting episode of Latour Live. I am your humble host, Dave Latour. Joining me today, let's not forget, Frank is on a mini sabbatical while he changes careers. Uh, joining us today as our first guest host this month, guest co host this month. Mr. John Meisick, opinion editor of Penn Live, the Pager News. John, how are we? I'm I'm good, thanks. It's a, it's it's a big honor uh, to be here while Frank is in detox. You are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see, wait, 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 yeah, wait, he, wait, wait a minute. Uh, he just slipped I, right in. Did you see how easy he just slid? That's a personnel issue, John. I, I, okay, I, I wasn't yeah. supposed to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Frank. Sorry. <laughs> And then on our big board, as always, is the one, the only Michael Parks. Parksy, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Good to be here. It's a beautiful day out. It's yes, ridiculous. It it's like 80-something degrees this, out. It's yes. ridiculous. This could be the nicest day of the year of right July. here. It's the nicest day of July we've had so far. <laughs> you look, if you look out the window, you'll see I'm driving my uh, son's uh, convertible Mustang. <laughs> I, I sat outside nice. and ate lunch today. I was like, what's going on? There's, I, I don't have to run for AC. Yeah, I don't want to go back to the office. I just, yeah. I just don't. I don't blame you one bit. I don't blame you one bit. Well, listen, we got a jam-packed show today. Joining us a little bit later, Jim Lee, our noted pollster friend. He's president of Susquehanna Polling and Research. We're going to talk to. We're going to talk about uh, races coming up. We're about a month out from the general election. But first, I got a news flash. We got a, a Latour Latour Live oh, 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 world exclusive. Oh, oh, oh. Where, is, where there the sound, heck, is there sound for that? Yeah, oh, where yes, the heck is, is the sound? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, oh, here we go. I told him to be ready. On the tour live. <laughs> That's like your budget for the whole year. I know. Go ahead, do it again. Do it again. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> so gaudy. The Pennsylvania Game and Control Board has now approved the first two sports betting licenses in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. We've been following this issue a lot. So yeah, that, there should actually be an applause. Look at applause sound effect there. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of curveballs here. I mean, yes, I right. mean, you know, Parksy, you're the big boy. Like a, so like a, no, we don't need a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> we need an applause line. We need some sort of. Uh, but anyway, yeah. all right. So uh, Hollywood, Penn National, and Parks, uh, John, both had their uh, applications approved by the Game Control Board. Parks is talking about a couple months to get up and running. Yeah, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a while before they can get this rolling. I spoke with someone over at Penn National within the last fifteen minutes because that's how I am, John. Look at you go. And uh, they indicated that they're hopeful to have it up and running in November. All right. Uh, by November. So, so, I'm, so I can bet on I can bet on the Stanley Cup. You bet on the Stanley Cup. Uh, I always said, and correct me if I'm wrong, Parks, I always said it would be up and running by bowl season mm -hmm. in college football. It might be a little bit earlier than that. By bowl season in college football, definitely NFL playoffs. Yep, there you go. You know, NBA, NHL, they're, you're going to have a smorgasbord in, in, in Pennsylvania. And they, and they do refer, refer to like British sports or European sports. That would be probably Premier League soccer. Oh, you're going to be oh, able yeah, to. Yeah. Pretty, they'll take action. Cricket. They'll take action on anything for the most part. And, Did and you just say cricket? Yeah, probably. You, you bet on cricket? <laughs> I've never seen cricket. I've never Rugby. seen wagering yeah. on cricket. I, I'm, I'm it sure has, it darts. has to happen. I, I'm told that it's going to take a little longer for Parks because they're bringing in William Hill, uh, which is an overseas That's company. That's big English company, yeah. Big English company. They're bringing them in to oversee their sports uh, gaming, and they're not licensed in PA. Ah, well, there you go. So that'll that'll take a little bit longer. But, I mean, it's just that that's positive news. That's positive news. So now I want to focus on a little negative so that's, news. That's more tax dollars being... 
What do you put, mean? Well, put get more tax dollars into the state's coffers from sport betting. Theoretically, yes. Theoretically, I think it will. I, it, that more, tax rate's going to be tricky. More, more fools being parted from their money, but no question. Yes. Yeah, uh, casinos don't do sports betting because they lose. That's for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of dummies out there. Yes. So that's good news, though, for people that enjoy sports betting, and we support it on the show certainly. Uh, uh, every time we're in Las Vegas, uh, which will be coming up in October for me. Uh, well, this is October. We'll be coming up a couple weeks for me. Yes. Friend of mine, 60th uh, you, birthday party. Do you ever work? I do. I no, work very hard. No, you don't. I do. I work very no, hard. I see you on Instagram. You're on a golf course somewhere, yeah. or you and your lovely bride. I, that was work. Are, you and that was your work. lovely bride or some island? I haven't been on an island in a long <laughs> time, unless you mean City Island. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, but no, but I will tell you, and I think you agree with this, John, you take your office with you today. I do. You your do. office is yeah, always... Constantly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm doing emails at 5.30 in the morning, 11 o'clock at night, yeah, especially with some of my clients. I mean, it, it, there is no 9 to 5 there, work there, day. You know, I'm doing Canadian TV up links from my living room, so yeah, yeah. believe me, I know. If I there know. was a 9 to 5 work day, I could not do this show. I couldn't do the yeah. show. Which, I've, I haven't worked nine to five in my yeah. adult life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would actually drive me crazy if I yeah. worked. But it's five. good. I love the technology. I love the be- it's, ability it's a, to do that. that. It's, it's a blessing and a curse, though, because if you're sitting on it the is. beach, yes, you know, and you got a beer, the last thing you want to do is answer some work email, but yes. there you are. You completely have to shut it down. I think we're actually getting to a point, and we're getting off on a tangent here, though. I think we're getting to a point, though, in society where, with few exceptions, People are starting to claim their personal time back. Yeah. And, and and like I know working with clients, a lot of clients will not bother me off hours. If they know I'm va- on vacation, they will not bother me. They'll respect that line. So there's this Italian designer named Br- uh, Brunello Cuccinelli. This is like my platonic ideal. He runs yeah. this amazing ha- fashion house in near Milan. I know. I have all this stuff. No, no, no emails. Of course you do. You fancy people. No, I just do not. No emails after 5 p.m. Yeah. They take a hard break at noon. For lunch, it's like pasta and wine and cheese. It's 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 pretty much the if I could have that at Penn Live, you do it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I mostly like the no email after five p.m. thing. Yep, that's pretty fabulous. I mean, you try to create that division in your life, but it's it's I don't know. I think Americans are wired differently. We're just on all the time, and it's harder now. Speaking of on all the time, yes, it's a David. wonderful transition. Actually, it's sort of a weak transition. Uh, I, I just, really just go, just go for it. I really liked your editorial board at Penn Live coming out with an editorial today calling a direct letter to, to Governor Wolf asking him for more debates. Um, you know, maybe you can touch on a little bit for our listeners. Somebody, you know, we, we go right up on our podcasts on Wednesday evening, both on iTunes and iHeartMedia. Um, our show airs Saturday at two o'clock, but for somebody who may not read that editorial, give us a little background on why you wrote it and what your thoughts are moving. Well, I mean, we've been banging this drum now for, for months, for weeks, um, you know, Penn live and our broadcast partners at CBS 21, we've been pushing for a debate between governor Wolf and, uh, and Scott Wagner, the Republican nominee. We've been pushing for one with Senator Casey and Lou Barletta, um, in the U S Senate race. Uh, both of those efforts came to naught. Um, as we now know, Dave, um, Governor Wolf and, and Mr. Wagner met for a single time in Hershey on uh, on Monday night for and 45 was, minutes. And that was a disaster. Oh, it was a com- complete debacle. Yeah. Complete, complete debacle. It was hosted by Jeopardy's Alex Trebek, who, who actually somebody ran, somebody ran the numbers on Twitter and found out that Trebek spent 41% of the time talking. It's remarkable. You know, and for the sole debate, and there was, there was no discussions. There was these weird, like, 
non sequiturs from Trebek. He's he crammed his head so full of Pennsylvania knowledge they sort of felt the need to sort of barf it up all at once. Um, but there is no rhythm, there is no pattern to it. Governor he took Wolf- political stances. He did. I mean, Governor Wolf only spoke twenty five percent of the time. Scott Wagner got his his allotted share, but it was it was ridiculous. And we we for weeks have been asking for more than one debate. I've written columns about it. My colleague John Barrett at the Philadelphia Daily News has written columns about it as well. You know, traditionally, Dave, there's been three debates every gubernatorial yep. cycle, one in Pittsburgh, one in Philly, one here in Central PA. Um, my colleague Jen Murphy actually went back and ran the numbers. The last time there was only one debate was in 1990 between Barbara Hafer and then-Governor Bob Casey Sr. Huh. So it's been 30 years since wow. we've been – nearly 30 years since we've been down this road before. And in a year, frankly, as consequential as, as this one, um, when – You've got as much riding on governor's races as you do in, say, any race on the federal level, because we know that the Trump administration is just trying to evolve stuff back to the states. You have a potentially more conservative U.S. Supreme Court that could, could throw abortion back to the states. So this I mean, this is a really consequential race. And the, the fact that Governor Wolf only wants to do one debate. I mean, I understand the reasonings for it. I mean, incumbents don't want to expose themselves if they don't have to. But good God, I love that you guys wrote in your editorial in 2014, speaking to Governor Wolf directly, you promised to be a different kind of governor, one who sought to elevate our dialogue and who called on Pennsylvanians to become involved in their democracy. We know you to be a serious student of politics with deep reverence for the process. You end by saying, live up to that promise of 2014. Let the people of Pennsylvania see you stand next to your opponent and debate the issues. That doesn't seem like a whole lot to ask. Yeah, I'm married to a Jewish girl from New Jersey, so I wanted to use as much guilt as I possibly could. <laughs> I mean, you just lay, I mean, just because you just, you know, but it, but it's true, though. I mean, Governor Wolf, time and again in his public remarks, talks about his deep reverence for politics. How about how people need to call on their better angels in the dialogue? But there is nothing more cliche incumbent, nothing more like run and hide incumbent than not, than not doing debates. And it's such a freaking disappointment coming from him it really it, is it's really devastating for voters too and a lot of voters don't even realize it because you don't get to you don't get to see them talk about issues you don't get to digest where they stand on things and 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 i love when politicians say hey go to my website you can see where i, I break down on all the issues no one goes it, to the website no one goes That's to the website lie. number one and number two they don't yeah i love the idea of of an independent moderator in the middle calling them out holding them to hard times to answer questions off, you know, setting up rebuttals. I mean, that's what it's all about. You want to see how these two candidates interact with one another, how they deal with things on their toes and whether they're being truthful. Or not. No, absolutely. I mean, the advantage to have, and I'm not, I mean, this is self-serving, I suppose, but the advantage to having journalists moderate debates is that we have the institutional knowledge and the experience where we Couldn't can agree more, where we can fact check on the fly and call out, Candidates, if they misstate something or if they misrepresent something. I mean, Trebek, God love him, kind of tried to do that. But he stepped all over himself just because it's, this is not what he does. I hear you. I'm with you. I hope uh, Governor uh, Wolf uh, accepts the invitation. I think it makes total sense. He, said, so, he has so said no already. He said – Scott Wagner said yesterday, uh, Tuesday – or what, no, what's today? Wednesday? Yeah, so on Tuesday we're, uh, that he's not, he won another debate. The Wolf administration shot it down immediately. Or the campaign, rather, excuse me, shot it down immediately. We'd like them to reconsider. There you have it. We hope you do reconsider, Governor Wolf, because we know you listen to our show. Hey, that's our first session here. We're going to be back uh, with segment two. We're going to talk about a lot more fun things coming up later. Jim Lee, President, Susquehanna Polling and Research. 
Latour Live, WHP 580. Hear Latour live anytime online on our podcast page at whp580.com. A little oasis there bringing us in on uh, on segment two of uh, Latour Live. And truth be told, we let uh, John pick the music for uh, the rejoins. Yes. That's a, nice, a nice breakup from the traditional old stuff we put on. Well, uh, see, John, John, when he does like a lot of his things post on Penn Live, then especially on Mondays, I think it is, you put like a playlist. Yeah. Or some songs and things like that. He kind of puts, you know, and I know that he has like a great taste and sense of music all over all the spectrum. So that, that, that Oasis, that first Oasis record is darn near perfect too. Definitely, those first two are. I love darn Oasis. Near I friggin' love Oasis. Now, they, they lost the plot a little bit after that, but those first two records are phenomenal. I saw this figure that like the second record, uh, "What's the Story, Morning Glory," that every yeah. man, woman, and child in England had basically bought a copy of that album, and it was still selling beyond that. They were so good. I just didn't realize the, how good they were until like a friend of mine told me it was like they were bigger than the Beatles in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, and Noel Gallagher's solo work has actually been pretty good. It is as good. Well, mm-hmm. anyway, hey, speaking of music, um, Lady Gaga is in the news because she's coming out with the uh, remake the of Stars, uh, Stars, Stars Born. Born. Yeah. And I'm reading this story on uh, on uh, Variety. This is when I think the world is over, okay? Or, or I, maybe I'm just too old. Headline. You're, you're a lot older than me. I know. I'm 48, <laughs> man. Lady, so, Ga- so Lady Gaga fans accused of writing fake Venom reviews to support A Star is Born. So if you're not aware, there's a Marvel comic book villain movie coming out this weekend on friday venom uh from from the spider-man series with with tom hardy with tom hardy really really good opening the same day as a star is born so lady gaga has you know obviously millions of twitter followers and is very popular is a wonderfully talented they 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 call them little monsters do they really her fans yeah oh my god I, i don't know why i know that i just know that so apparently Many of her supporters are coming up with fake reviews of Venom. So to get Venom to tank. To get Venom to tank. That's so like, her that's like, movie. That is, that is Russian bot worthy, I got to say. It, it really is. Like, so, and, and one lady is like a mom. Her name is Ann Harrison, at Ann Harrison Mom. Uh, and she tweets, I saw Venom last night and had to leave halfway through. My children wouldn't stop crying at how bad it was. Well, she's a bad mother for bringing like, children to Venom, really? clearly. And then she finishes, luckily, a second pre-screening of Stars Born was about to start. Now we're all crying tears of amazement. Please <laughs> pray for my eldest. He is still in a coma. And then they run through all these examples Wait, of people. All these, I know, all these examples of people who supposedly saw Venom and, and hated it, even though it really doesn't open for another couple of days, the, the it's, a Star Is Born is going to make a packet full of money. They're already, I mean, they're already talking about it as Oscar. Made. I love the original Star Is Born. I haven't seen that in Chris Christopherson yeah, and Barbara Streisand. Thirty years. I haven't seen that in thirty years. I remember watching that when I was a little kid. Like, kind of messed with my head because it's still a little young to watch that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, You're I was very impressionable. I was very, very this impressionable. So much. I think it should be hard to top that movie. But I hear this one has great. Supposedly, reviews. Bradley Cooper's amazing in it. He's a hell of an actor. And can, can sing. So who yeah, knew? and he can sing. So who knew? He's, he's good at it. All right, out of Hollywood, back to... Uh, it seems like such a shame. I know, I know. Back to serious politics. Oh, God. Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. Judge Kavanaugh. You know, I've said this, I've been on the record with this, that I want to believe Miss Ford. 
I want to believe her. Did I have her name right? Yeah. 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 Dr. Ford. Dr. Ford. Dr. I want to believe Dr. Ford. Uh, there was a column I read over the weekend and somebody said, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? And for me, I want to believe her, but I don't know that there's enough evidence to disqualify this guy from the highest court in the land. Very torn about it. Very torn. I'd be curious to hear what yeah, you, you know, think I about wrote, it. I wrote a column about this and this isn't a criminal trial. It is not. Right. So you're absolutely right. So you can't, you can't, I don't think you can deploy standards of evidence because the, the prosecutor, the Maricopa, Rachel Mitchell, the sex crimes prosecutor from Maricopa County in Arizona, who questioned Dr. Blasey Ford with this report back to the yeah. Judiciary Committee, saying it hadn't met the standard of reasonable doubt, that it hadn't even met the standard of preponderance of the evidence, which is what you use in a, in a civil suit to prove innocence or guilt. Sure. But for me, though, it's, it's, it goes more to questions of character. It goes to questions of temperament, and it goes to questions of fairness. All those things that we expect from a judge. I think and, and so when when Kavanaugh got up there for his rebuttal testimony and became so angry and so partisan and attacked Democrats so directly that to me was that to me seemed disqualifying because it's it was a, it was, it was illuminative of judicial temperament is illuminative of his character. I wrote a column saying that this was a job interview and I got a lot of guff for it. Sure. But in essence it, it's not a trial. It was a job interview and frankly he tanked I, it. You and I agree on a lot of things, but I'm going to vehemently disagree with you on that point only because of this. Judges are not robots, and I've said this repeatedly. They're not robots. I would look at his judicial temperament over his 25 years serving on the bench where he has gotten outstanding reviews as a judge. I think when and it, it, let's say let's say. Even if you believe that he's guilty of what Dr. Ford has said and some of these other crazy rumors that are out there and, and, and anonymous stories, which are just driving, I think, this country crazy, uh, I think we're just so out of control in so many ways. I don't really care what he did at, at senior week. But anyway, that aside, um, when it comes to his reaction, your family has, if you just consider for a second that he might not be guilty of this. His whole life has been torn to shreds. He had 10 days between when the accusation came out before he could sit before that panel. He was eviscerated before the country. His family is shamed and embarrassed. He hasn't described this and talked to his daughters over this. You have a daughter. I have a daughter. And what if he's not guilty, John? So if he's not guilty and he claims he's not guilty and he's very adamant about that, and there is no direct evidence to the con evidence to the contrary. Okay, I think he had every right to get up there and call them out for what this is. Because let's face it, Diane Feinstein sat on this evidence, so-called evidence, alleged evidence. She could have put it out there a lot longer. You and I both know right. Democrats sat on this stuff for months. Which they're trying to run the clock out. My com point is, I mean, complicated by the fact that Dr. Blasey Ford didn't want to come forward to begin with. So yes. Feinstein outed her, which was reprehensible. We shouldn't have done that. Reprehensible. So all I'm saying is I'm giving the guy a pass because if that had happened to me, if that had happened to you, I don't think you or, you or I would give a damn whether we were doing a job interview for the Supreme Court of the United States. I thought it would have been a masterstroke for him to actually say, you know what? I'm tired of this. You guys have destroyed my family. Uh, this isn't worth it. You're not worth it. 
Republicans and Democrats, you're an embarrassment to our country. Uh, this isn't worth it and get up and walk out. I wish you would have done that. The White House wouldn't let him. I, the, White, I, the White House. I know, the, but I, that doesn't mean I don't wish you would have done the, it. The White House has his dog in a basement somewhere. Yeah. And <laughs> there is no way they're like. I just wish you would have done it. But he's not going to. They can't. They, I yeah, mean, they can't, I, they I understand. I understand the political realities. I mean, let, me, let me say one thing categorically. I believe Dr. Blasey Ford. I believe that she believes that something happened to her. I believe that she. I believe that she I, believes I believe, it too. I, I don't know if it happened. Assaulted. I believe that she was sexually assaulted. And you know what? That she believes that it happened to her. That's your. You just said it. We're the fathers of daughters. That's right. I believe it. I, you know, she believes it happened. Thus, it happened. Whether or not Kavanaugh is the guy who did it or is responsible for it, that there's no way to litigate that because there's, there's no physical exactly. evidence. There's no anything. What concerns me, though. And this is the president getting up in Mississippi last night at that disgusting rally yeah, where he impersonated her and mocked her and made light of her. And we wonder why women don't want to come forward with accusations of sexual abuse and sexual assault. I don't it's, I don't it's, disagree. It's, it's, it's a, I mean, the chilling effect there and it's and it's behavior that's so every time I can't think that this president can't find behavior that's beneath him, he finds behavior that's beneath him. What's really frustrating about that is he was actually the same person in the room for the longest for the longest time on this process, he was, he said her testimony was very credible. It was real. He he was staying out of it. And only, then he only, gets in, only because he'd been hogtied by staff, no doubt. Uh, whatever. He was staying out of it. He was actually the big boy in the room, believe it or not. And then he gets in front of these crowds, these rallies that I think are bad ideas, but you know, they are what they are. I actually think he went in there trying to say, Hey, her story isn't credible. But he can't help himself. No, he His ego is so big that when he, he was trying, I think, to do something constructive I, and then he let his ego take over what, and I, it came off horrific. No, I mean, I think, horrific. I am not justifying what he said. I think he finally got to say what he wanted to say all, to, all along. I don't disagree. He got to say in front of that crowd because they will, they will give him adulation. They will give him unquestioning adulation. He got to say what he wanted to say all along. And the only reason he hadn't said it until now is because his staff had been tasing him into metaphorically <laughs> tasing him into submission on this thing. Shut up. Don't say anything. Shut up. Don't say anything. Do you hear another anonymous letter came out today I, from I, somebody that Dr. Ford allegedly was dating back in the 90s? It's, it's and this letter, this letter said, yeah, it just came out. Fox News was reporting it uh, yesterday. John Roberts was reporting it. And people can make fun of Fox News, but John Roberts was a longtime guy on CBS News. He's a very credible uh, Washington reporter. Which is the, actually the problem for the actual journalists at Fox News because they do get undercut. They have fantastic journalists at Fox News if they just didn't do those stupid shows. Yeah. I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh, well, but it, Chris Wallace is phenomenal. Phenomenal reporter. Phenomenal reporter. Uh, but anyway, so this letter came out basically says we dated. Um, she, I know for a fact that she helped a friend prepare for po a polygraph test and how to handle a polygraph test, Dr. Ford. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Ford traveled all over the place. You know, she would travel on prop planes, you know, this whole thing about her being afraid of flying. flying. And let me just say this. I don't think anonymous letters were okay that attacked Kavanaugh, and I don't think this anonymous letter is good. But my point is, the waters are so muddied right now. It's absolute yeah, mayhem yeah. and craziness. And so, John, vote this guy. Vote him. Up or down. Let's get it on. You know, you know? what's ironic here? I don't that, care if you have the votes or not. Vote this up and down, or, and let's move on. What's ironic up here is, is that, that it may not even be this that gets him. He may actually have perjured himself. He may have. Before the Judiciary Committee talking about his underage drinking habits. Is that real? I mean, really? Is that what it's come to, though? I mean, really? 
I mean, some well, people that, say but, he drank a lot. Other people said he didn't. I mean, but no, it's what he said. But, but what matters though is what he said about what he did. And I've he, seen nothing in his writings, his senior week stuff. What other people have said, it's it's all he said, she said stuff. Right. Uh, the problem, and is, you don't know what those people's motivations are. No, I look. He may well have he may well have perjured before the judiciary committee. If he knowingly perjured himself before the judiciary committee, that is disqualifying. I agree with you. Period. I agree with you. Hey, listen, uh, something I want to bounce back on real quick. I wanted to ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. How an editorial board works. A lot of people call you. A lot of people criticize you. A lot of people don't understand what an editorial board is. They think it's just you writing editorials for Penn Live. Can you give everybody kind of like a quick 60-second primer on exactly what an editorial board is? Sure. So we come in in the morning, and there's a conference call with Beijing. <laughs> Come on, man. Because we got to start early. Come on, 60 no, I'm, seconds. I'm Come kidding. On. All right, so look, an editorial, the unsigned voice of God yes. editorial, represents the consensual opinion of the editorial board of Penn Live and the Patriot News. Uh, that's a seven-member board made up of myself, uh, VP of content, Kate Barron, uh, three staffers who work on the news desk. We had until recently a member of the advertising staff um, who was a center-right member who sat on the board as well. Um, we have two, we have two or three community members. So what will happen is we will, we have, we publish mastered editorials three times during the week. Mm-hmm. We'll brainstorm ideas. One of those will bubble up and become the editorial idea on the day. Um, either I will write it or some other member, some other member of the board, most often, um, a managing producer named Hope Stefan will write the, will write it. We will circulate the draft among the board members, argue about it, discuss it, litigate it. And what emerges at the other end is a, a is a compromise product that represents the institutional opinion of Penn Live and the Patriot News. It is not me forming the opinion of Penn Live and the Patriot News. I am sometimes the conduit through which it happens. Because you're the opinion editor. Because I'm the opinion editor, and, and writing the bulk the bulk of these falls to me. But the editorials, the unsigned masthead editorials, are the consensual opinion of Penn Live and the Patriot News as an institution. Do you have indicate? Do you have times where you start out with an editorial and you guys just can't come to a consensus and you bag it? It's happened a couple of times. Yeah. Um, what's I think what's good though is that we only go to print with an editorial three times a week. Yeah. Um, so we can kind of reserve our intellectual firepower for stuff that we feel is really, really worthwhile. Uh, I have pity for my colleagues and other opinion pages who have to crank out institutional editorials, sometimes a couple of them, yeah. um, seven days a week. I'm opinionated. I don't have that many opinions in a week myself. <laughs> um, so God knows how they pull it off. My hat's off to them. But I, I, I really think that our approach works better, that we pick our issues, that we pick our battles, and three times a week we sound off on it. I think it just carries more weight intellectually that way. All right, so we have one last question, and it actually comes from I, I ask our listeners every week on Twitter. Uh, by the way, you can follow us on Twitter, Latour Live. Uh, hi, Twitter. At, at Latour Live. Uh, look us up. Um, and we, we, we have a super fan. His name's Sean Crampeasy, and every week he responds. You know Sean. I He's know a Sean. borough councilman in Carlisle. Yep, yep. Um, uh, his wife works for the uh, Senate Democrats yep. on the Hill. Uh, we don't. I don't hold that against them, uh, quite purse, quite frankly. But anyway, he comes up with some great questions, and and you're the musical guy, and sort of you are too, Parks. Yeah, I'm not. I, I it doesn't really matter what I listen to for the most part. He had a question: best PA band ever, oh. best Pennsylvania, and it can't be any of your bands, John. Uh, <laughs> best Pennsylvania born band ever. And you can go back to a lot of the oldies bands from Philly. 
I think all, all, all the all the gamble on Huff Philly International acts too. Yeah. But stuff just sticks out. Stuff. What sticks out? Who sticks out to you guys? Like, and, and then and there's the Philly power pop scene too. I mean, you got like Tommy Conwell and the Run, Young mm-hmm. Rumblers. You had uh, uh, the go, Hooters. The Hooters. You had yeah. the late Robert Hazard, who was so fantastic. Yeah. Um, God. Yeah, bands, and then you know you don't want to get into the crooners. Remember the sharks? You know? Remember the, the sharks well, here in Harrisburg for my time. Ocean the, Blue. I got the Ocean Blue. I got to vote. Uh, I got to give a vote to my friends, the Badleys from uh, from by Sealands Grove. Uh, I just Badleys did a commercial for uh, isn't Fuel? Yeah, Fuel is from here. Fuel is from yeah. uh, here. Um, poison, though nobody wants to admit it. Poison. Oh yeah, Fuel's probably been the most commercially successful band. Yeah. Oh, what is Rusted Root from Pennsylvania? From Are they from Pittsburgh? They're from Pittsburgh. Boy, that's a good one yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, if you said to me, like, held a gun to my said my head and said, "You have need to listen to one Pennsylvania." The, root, the roots. It. The roots are good too. Mm. I would probably pick Rusted Root. I would probably pick Rust. You know, they got the kind of music I think everybody could listen to. But man, fuel was good too. Fuel's good. I'm. I'm. I'm a, I will say that the Hooters were big. Oh, wait a my, minute. What about Live? Live. Oh, yeah, live. Live. Yeah, another great band. Ed Kowalczyk from New York. Back with the band. Boy, they were. Good too. They. Uh, they just played Hershey Park Stadium. Like, That's in, right. In August with Counting Crows. Pick one band. Pick one. Pick one. Sean wants you to pick one, Mysick, and get ready, Parks. You're next. You know what? I'm gonna actually. Go, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go a little bit obscure. All right. Um, there's a great, there's a great band out of Philly called the John Fay Power Trip. Uh, John Fay was the lead singer of this band from Wilmington called the Caulfields in the '90s. Uh-huh. Great, fantastic guy. I'm gonna give my vote. I'm gonna give my vote to the John Fay Power Trip. Parksy, Donnie Iris, Iron City House Rockers, Joe Grishicki. Oh my God! Right? Yeah. Um, I still, I'm, I'm probably if you're thinking about the, we're that that term best is vague. Yeah. Most successful. I, I love the Hooters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love. I, I love. I, I, I love the leaders. All right. Hey, listen. That wraps up our segment two here on Latour Live. We're going to be right back with Jim Lee. Talk a little uh, polling. Where we stand ours on some of these elections uh, in about a month away. We'll be right back. Latour Live. WHP five eighty. WHP five eighty dot com. fun never serious it's saturday it's latour live on news radio whp 580 welcome back to latour live joining us again is our guest co-host as frank takes as many sabbatical is uh john mysick john lovely glad, to be here Thank glad you. to have you and then uh, michael parks on the big board yes sir and we're going to bring in our uh, guest. We've had him on the show before. I love this guy. He's a tremendous pollster. And yes, we need pollsters in the world. I want to welcome in Jim Lee, president of Susquehanna Polling and Research. Jim, how are you? Hey, Dave. Thanks for the nice words. Yeah, you bet, man. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. So we're, you know, Jim, we wanted to have you on because we're about a month out from the general election that nobody seems to be focused on, it seems, uh, with the exception of local races. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain for our listeners and say, hey, where the heck are we on the governor's race and the U.S. Senate race? I have an idea where we are, but just wanted to take a uh, – I just wanted to assess what you think from a scientific perspective of where we are. Well, when you say no one's really paying attention, are you, is that a chief shot at Alex Trebek? <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about his debate, uh, his debate moderating skills this past week. Uh, uh, certainly left a lot to be desired, wouldn't you say? 
I, I would I would agree with that. Okay, uh, switching gears here. A couple of things that kind of struck me as I was preparing for uh, the comments today. I, I I'm a big fan of RealClearPolitics.com. Uh, they aggregate polling in all the national and hot races, um, and I've been you know very accustomed to going on there. And and um, the polling in the Senate race and and the um, governor's race here in PA. We we haven't done any statewide recently, um, but the aggregate polling in both those races shows both Democrat incumbents are over 50% already in the committed head-to-head scores. So this is the aggregate wow. margins and the, the vote totals for both Casey in the Senate race and Wolf in the governor's race. And that is extremely unusual um, that you have candidates running for re-election where their committed support is averaging over 50%. In other words, according to those real clear politics scores, the races are over. Hey, listen, Jim, in my, in my scientific, my scientific analysis of that, I can sum up in one word. Wow. Yeah, it really is. It really is something. Um, now having said that, the polling was all over the board two years ago in the presidential race. Our last poll before the presidential in PA had the Clinton-Trump race at 45-43, eight days out from the election. That was unreal clear. Other polls that same week, uh, one by F&M, which I know was my sixth favorite pollster, haha, had Clinton winning by 11. So you can I see love that. Picture. You're smack-talking polling. You I can, love it. We'll get to that. We'll get, the disparity between we'll even— get to that polling from one firm to the other. But all joking aside, I can tell you from our regional polling around the state this cycle, you know, the Democrats, the enthusiasm is at levels I haven't seen in a long time. It does not look like a good year for Republicans. And I'm, I'm speaking kind. Do you think, Jimmy, what do you attribute two years ago? I mean, you know, polling was polling, and I'm not speaking about that right now. But it seemed to me like Democrats sat that election out a couple of years ago. Is that what we're seeing? Is that the is could that be the difference between the red wave two years ago and the blue wave, perhaps in a month? You know, there there wasn't a red wave two years ago. I mean, the presidential election was was such an anomaly in the sense that we had two candidates that were just not well liked. But we picked up some of that shy Trump vote because we use a combination of techniques to get voters to answer surveys these days, which is what you need to do. So. In some of our automated polls, people were telling our automated survey, um, you know, they were with Trump where they may not, they, might, they wouldn't want to say that in a live telephone agent survey since Trump was being called all kinds of horrible things. Moving into this cycle, though, I, I haven't seen such a vitriolic reaction to an incumbent president in a long time. And that's what's really driving, I think, the Democrat enthusiasm. I just haven't seen the hostility towards a president like I see towards Donald Trump. And what we're seeing as a result is we have about 20 percent of Republican voters not committing to vote for Republican candidates because they disapprove of Trump in our polling. And 9.5 out of 10 Democrats saying they're with the Democratic slate from top to bottom. So as a result, you have a higher percentage of straight ticket Democrat voting this year that I just haven't seen in the last few cycles. And when you couple that with the enthusiasm, that's why you see so many more seats in play this year. I mean, I just saw a poll that shows the Perry-Scott race is a dead heat. 
the congressional race in, in South Central PA. I mean, if that seat's in place, in play, it, it could be a long night for Republicans this November 6th. Hey, uh, Jimmy, it's John. Um, I wanted to talk to you about I mean, because we're talking about the 2016 results. Um, you know, when we come to write about polls now, when I come to write about polls now, everyone says, well, you got it so dramatically wrong in 2016 that there's no reason to listen to anything, anything that a pollster says now for any reason at all. You know, irrespective of the fact that if you go back and look at most of the most of the polling margins in 16, they had Clinton winning by three or four percentage points, which actually ended up being the result of the popular vote in 16, because polls, as we know, don't take in electoral college votes. But I mean, I want to ask you now about how difficult it's become to be a pollster in, in the current environment, given the fact that people sort of, you know, there's some people who point to the results in 16 and say pollsters got it so dramatically wrong. Does it make it harder to do that job now? It, it, it sure does. Um, you know, and that's why I, I kind of go back to, I, I think the challenge we have in this industry is to use a combination of techniques to get people to do surveys. Um, just doing live telephone interviews, I think, is kind of a thing of the past. I think now we have to be smarter, more nimble about mixed-mode surveys, automated, live, um, email, Internet. Kind right. of use a combination of techniques to really get a, a true sample of turnout because you just can't reach certain pockets of the population anymore with traditional phone calling. Um, so, you know, so I think that's that's part of what the lesson was. But you're right. The national polling, I think, was really on the mark. I mean, Clinton won the national popular vote. I think it's where we saw the the state by state polling that we saw such a bigger spread between exactly. one firm, you know, having a dead heat, another firm showing Clinton up by double digits in the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's where you really start to see, I think, significant differences between firms. Um, but I think moving into this cycle, I, I think I'm not seeing those disparities this time around. I think we're talking about probably a more solidified group of voters coming out. And I, I think that's probably an easier polling model from my perspective. And, and that's why I go back to everything I'm seeing, at least in terms of the real clear politics averages, shows the races in PA – look like they're really difficult terrain for both GOP candidates. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I mean, close, this, but... this looks like a base contest on both sides because we're seeing you're seeing the same numbers that I'm seeing. It's two thirds of voters who say they're either very excited or somewhat excited to vote in in the election. And those are that's, those are like highly motivated base voters who are coming out for this. Right. Yeah, uh, I was reading that, um, you know, if you look at the last three wave elections, 2006, right. uh, 2010, and, and 1994, the percentage of independents um, in those really varies from as high as 40% of independents to a low of 25%, where the base vote between the parties really tends to, to be the dominant factor. Um, independents in our polling in PA, and this is also true in Florida and Indiana, where we're doing some work, they, they, they're just they're breaking Democrat. And I, I think that's why even a lot of swing districts in Pennsylvania, those independent minded voters, not that they're registered independent because most are not, but right. the independent minded voters seem to be very unhappy with the president and his governing style. And 
And I think that's why any any in the sides, I think, this November 6th, it, it's hard to make the case they break 50-50. I think that's being probably kind right. to the Republican candidates. We've got about three minutes left. We're joined by our good friend Jim Lee, President Susquehanna Polling and Research. Uh, what, what really jumped out to me is when you talked about the Perry race, the Perry congressional race uh, that affects the mid-state here. Do you see... When you talk about Republicans being in trouble, are we looking at seats that traditionally Republicans have held on to? I know there's some Senate, state Senate races up in the uh, south, down in the southeast, you know, that Republicans try and uh, try and skew moderate on. Um, should should they be worried? Should Republicans in in general in soft districts be worried? And what I mean by soft is not exactly an overwhelmingly Republican district. I think they have some some reason to be worried because the enthusiasm doesn't seem to be there in terms of their likelihood to show up. So if you just have an R by your name, I think if you're leaving it to chance, it's going to be a closer margin than you would otherwise expect. Um, having said that, the congressional races is really where we're seeing the the bloodbath, I think. Trump is so top of mind in, in congressional races that when we ask, we did some focus group work recently where we talked to Republican voters um, who were not uh, predisposed to say they support Trump, and they're looking for kind of checks and balances in some of the races and and at the congressional level. And I think that's where you're going to see the manifestation of this straight Democrat vote down ballot once you get beyond the governor's race and the U.S. Senate race. So with Trump's numbers being down in Pennsylvania in terms of job approval, um, I, I think the question is how far down the ballot, and it's a short ballot, does that straight ticket vote go for D's this year? But I think the state House and state Senate races is where the real firewall is. I think that's where we'll see a majority of the ticket splitting. But any Republican candidate for Congress running in a marginal district or even a district that's slightly more Republican than Democrat like Perry's, I think has a legitimate reason to be worried. Um, and I would put the Smucker race in that category too, even though that district was drawn to be more Republican than it was just for sure. You know, a cycle ago. Jimmy, you're a wise man. Thanks for joining us today. We're really going to be uh, really going to be following the races. And I and I think you're right. The, these local races are really the ones to watch. Going into congressional races, state senate races, some state house yeah. uh, races as well. Those are real. I think there's going to be some shockers there. Jimmy, thanks. Uh, we hope we can have you on again. Good to see you, Dave, and good to see my good friend John. Take care, buddy. Take, easy. Take care, guys. As Jimmy Lee, president of Susquehanna Pulling and Research. Uh, hey, you got to go. I got to go. So tell us why you're going. All right. So I got to skedaddle back to the office. At 2 o'clock today at Penn Live, we'll be doing an uh, editorial board meeting with uh, Republican Scott Wagner. Candidate for governor. Candidate for governor. Uh, by the time this show airs, it will have already have happened. But the proceedings will be pres- uh, preserved on Penn Live's YouTube channel so that uh, your audience can... Uh, Listen to that. And while you're in here, the uh, FIT is hitting the Shan here because uh, we pulled out of the Iran Treaty. And also we're having the first presidential press conference in months, awesome. in weeks. So all that's been happening since you've been here. Oh, so. I've been sitting here. So we're going to have plenty of talk. Well, plenty of your podcast listeners who listen to this tonight will have plenty to talk about with uh, Scott Wagner. And by the way, um, John will also be sitting with in with us in two weeks on October 17th. And, okay. I won't ha- and I won't have to leave early, so I'll be looking forward to it. Looking forward to having you for all four segments, and thanks for being in, buddy. All right, we'll see you soon.
All right. Hey, guys, be right back with our last segment, Latour Live, WHP 580, WHP580.com. John Mysick Music to play us out. What's that? that? I said John Mysick Music to play us out. Is this his music? Yeah. They're playing your music. (laughs) Yeah, Hear Latour live anytime online on our podcast page at whp580.com. Hey, welcome back for our last segment, an abbreviated segment. We went a little long on uh, sessions uh, one, two, and three. So we're going to. Good stuff, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. We're going to wrap it up pretty quickly here on segment four. A couple things I want to get to. Real quick, uh, do you still talk with college buddies? Uh, not as much as I want to. Do you like on, to. Are you on text groups? No. Don't even do that. You know, and we should, but um, I, I'm just one I of these guys. I leave it all in the past. Yeah. I text with my fraternity brothers. That's great. And I get two different groups. And what do you do? Like the one group has a guy who whines about everything. Like if you say <laughs> something about 9-11, like he knows somebody who died in 9-11, uh, how dare you? Like what do you do with guys like that? I, I know. It's tough. I mean, they're whiners. Yes. Right? It's, we all have them in the workplace. We all have them in our families and... We got a guy in our group, his name's Steve. I'm not going to get his last name, but, you know, love the guy. Love the guy. But he takes everything so serious. Like, lighten up. I know. Lighten up, man. It's a bad thing about maybe social a, media. And maybe it's a good thing you don't have a text group. Yeah, it is. Honestly, because, you know, and you know me, I say things, and people who know me understand that I'm just joking or being sarcastic. Exactly. But then there were people out there, and then just, they take it the wrong way, and then I'm going, then I spend time apologizing. Yep. Hey, by the way, because uh, I'm going to move quickly through some things. The state house voted this week to end car leases for legislators. Saw that. And now goes to the Senate for consideration. You know, a couple quick thoughts on that. <clears throat> Number one, it doesn't save taxpayers money because we end up paying more for their mileage reimbursement. And yes, they are entitled to mileage reimbursement. That is fair. If it's their own automobiles. Okay, guys out there. But, you know, people are like, People think they run up big costs on this, and they don't. It actually costs the state less to provide them with vehicles that they can't turn around and get mileage out of, get Mm -hmm. mileage reimbursements from. But we talked about this on a show a couple months ago. There was a legislator out of Philly who kept wrecking her state lease car. Uh, There were some... Uh, settlements yes. with settlements with taxpayers she wrecked into. She was driving with a suspended license because there's no legal mechanism to find out for that. that y- y- you rely on an honor system. So for that reason alone, it's good to do away. For that one lawmaker alone, it's good for doing away with state lease cards for legislators, but it doesn't save you any money, just so everybody knows. She ruled it for everybody else. She sure did. And then finally, Hershey Park announced today being Wednesday when we when we tape. Hershey Park announced a $150 million makeover today, including the tallest roller coaster ever that they'll have in the park. They provided a few details of that, but they're redoing, and this had to be done. They're redoing the entire entranceway yes. into Hershey Park. From Chocolate World, from Chocolate World down will now all be the park, and they'll have awesome. special entrances, which they should right. for season pass holders, for resort guests. You know, those people pay more. They should get into certain places. But now they're going to have a two-tier restaurant, you know, that looks down over the park because their dining options are dated, limited, not very good. 
The whole entrance ways dated the, and the worn entrance, out. The entrance was an adventure ride. It just really, to get in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're I think they're really doing the right things here. I guess they're actually going to have Starbucks at the park now. They usually had Dunkin' Donuts. Now they're going to have Starbucks. I know some people, some people like that. They'll be able to watch people making candy live. Perfect. You know, for Hershey, I think it could be a fantastic addition to the park. We're looking forward to it. Hershey Park desperately needs, I think, a makeover. And then finally, what are we watching on TV? Parksy, I know you don't watch TV. Do you have anything for us? Anything. Give us something, Parks. I'm into, Give us something. I'm, I'm into history. I was. I watched the Nat Geo special on uh, North Korea. Okay, on North Korea. Yeah, how, you know, how these reporters Do you highly recommend it? Yes, because you see behind the scenes of this country that we know nothing about. And then I am still catching up on the series Billions. I highly recommend it. I finished the first with Sean Penn on Hulu about a... A Mission to Mars. Highly recommend that. And then we're going through uh, the second season of Ozark. Just a fantastically dark show. I put it. I put Ozark up there with The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. It's just equally dark, scary. <laughs> you feel dirtier watching it. You feel like there's something wrong. And especially if you're watching the dark at your house, you feel like somebody's going to come out and get you. <laughs> then that's the kind of show that you want. It's exactly especially right. Especially this time of year. Hey, listen, I want to thank our first guest co-host today, John Mysick, opinion editor of PenLive Patriot News. Thank our guest, Jim Lee, president of Susquehanna Polling and Research. Frank, wherever you are, we miss you. Parksy, you're the best. Thank you. And remember, everybody out there, come on, you Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur. We'll talk to everybody next week. Latour Live, WHP 580, WHP 580.com. Come on, the greatest team.